0: six or seven first time i went fishing dad rented a pontoon boat and this is when we lived in cuba and we went out dad rented some fishing poles too cuz i don't think we had fishing poles and dad was not an avid fisherman which will become more apparent as i tell the story so we went out and did some did some fishing of course we were Really not prepared in any way that I can remember, and Dad was teaching me how to cast the line a little bit, and I went out there, was on the edge of the boat. I got something, and the the, the fight began, and I started kind of reeling it in and trying to think. Like, hey, this is really cool! I think I caught something my first time out, and I pulled it up, and it was a conch shell. Wow, well, that was kind of depressing. No know if there's actually anything inside of it or anything living in it still, but put that in there and went on. And then I went to cast again and went to cast and I had the string, the line a little bit too long, and the hook went right into my right calf. So I guess I caught myself the second time around. Fortunately, it was with the power of a seven-year-old, so it didn't get that far into it just enough to. Dad, fishing sucks. I don't want to do it anymore. Mom caught something. She caught like a little fish, and being the trained fishermen that we were, we had no idea what to do with it, so we we put it in a plastic bag and threw it away. I don't know why. The neighborhood cats enjoyed it, as we found out later, but really don't want to get into that. So, I'm not a fan of fishing, but yet Jesus tells things to relate to fishermen because a number of the disciples were fishermen. They uh, had their livelihood depend upon fish that they could catch and that they could sell and all this other kind of stuff. So when Jesus, and we're continuing our series of This is the Kingdom, uh, explaining what the kingdom of heaven is through parables, which is how the main way that Jesus taught, he talks about fishing. Matthew 13, 47 through 50 is where we'll be today. So if you have your Bible, tablet, phone, go ahead and turn to Matthew 13. And Jesus is continuing to explain. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And then when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angel will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So Jesus tells parables, he tells stories that his disciples can relate to, that the people there can relate to about fishing. And they understand going out there with the nets, grabbing fish, trying to sort them out. They understand that when they would be fishers of men, that a similar process would take place. They would draw people to themselves. They would draw people to Jesus. And as we see, there are some people who are drawn in who are good, and there are some people who are drawn in who are not so good. of course, the argument can be made, and I think this was this was pretty self-evident, is that at a certain point, and as Scripture teaches, uh, we were all not good at some point, but we were drawn into the presence of Jesus Christ. But I think what is more, what we're speaking to here a little bit more, and what Jesus is getting into, is that people of different nation groups, people of different races, people of different creeds will be drawn in together, and those who have faith in Christ, who develop faith in Christ, are the good fish. Those are the ones that are kept, the ones who are not are, are discarded. And this one is very similar to the parable of the tares and wheat that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where the wheat grows and then the tares grow with it, and it looks very similar to the wheat until it's too late. So the idea is, there's some similar ideas there, but it's not the exact same. Because the idea of the righteous and the wicked mingled together is not really what this one is, is talking to. See, there's an idea that permeates the Jewish world at this time. Everyone who was born a Jew raised a Jew, mostly Jewish people in that environment. There was something that they all kind of understood, and it was very much under the surface. It was unspoken. And the idea was, Jews are God's people. No one else is. Or can be. If you were born into Judaism, if you were of that race, then you were set. You were people of God. If you were not, if you were born a Greek, or if you were born a Roman, or if you were born somewhere else out there, it was not possible for you to be the people of God. Now, what's kind of, I guess funny may not be the right word, but One of the interesting ideas from this is that that is actually not in the Hebrew Bible. That's a misunderstanding of the scriptures as they had them. Because God, when he gives the law to the people of Israel, he lays out specifically, you are to welcome the foreigner among you. You are to welcome the immigrant among you. The immigrant comes in and they are to uphold the laws and statutes of the people of Israel. And through doing that, they can become part of the people. But by the time we get to the time of Jesus, there's a very strong, the people who are not like us have to stay out there, and the people who are like us, they have to be very specific in how they're like us. But that's about all there is to it. And Jesus wants to turn this thing on its head because it's hard enough to follow the, the rules and laws and regulations that the Pharisees have laid down, you know, the the teachers of the law, they've laid down 613 commands. This is what you do, and this is what you don't, and all this other kind of stuff. And it was hard enough for people who really, really, really wanted to follow the law to do it. But for anyone who didn't even come from that background, who just had no idea, the social cues and all, all that stuff, forget it. There was no way they were going to be able to follow all of that or risk, as the Pharisees might have said, offending God in some form or fashion. There was just no way that was going to happen. and. You get that often enough, and it doesn't matter even how well-meaning you are. You're just going to go, you know what, This whole, all the rules, all these laws are just not worth it. I'll go back to where I was, and that was, that was working just fine. Because it was believed that you could look at someone and determine they're on my side, or they're against me, based on how they looked, based on how they acted, based on how they talked. Say, okay, you're on my side, or... And if you don't look like me, you don't talk like me, you don't act like me, you're not. You're not even just not my people, you are against me in some form or fashion. So that was very prevalent at that time. And through this parable, what Jesus is saying, it's not that simple. It's not that simple because the righteous and the wicked are intermingled. The righteous don't look like Jews and the wicked don't look like pagans it's much more complicated. And the idea is that they are all gathered together. And what Jesus is trying to indicate is that when you come to faith in him, you are called out. You are to be set apart. The idea of holiness, when we talk about holiness, the idea of holiness is to be set apart. It's like you're going to look different than everything else. You're going to act different. You're going to to walk different. You're going to talk different. You're not going to look like everybody else. You're not going to act like everybody else. There's going to be something different about you. And parts of Scripture say that, that something about you is going to look so different that people are going to go up to you and go, hey, what's your deal? Why are you so joyful all the time? Why do you not lose your temper anymore? Why are you patient when other people should be tearing their hair out? What is going on? And scripture says, have an answer ready for the hope that you have. You're going to look a little different. So what is that being called out? What does that look like? Those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who have repented of their sins, who will call Jesus the Lord of their life now and live in accordance with his will and his desires in your life, those are those people. First Peter talks about this, chapter 2, verse 9. Actually, this uh, showed up during one of the worship songs that Megan was singing. But you are a chosen race. Who? Followers of Christ. That's who Peter is addressing here. Those who have placed their faith in Christ, whether they're Jew or Gentile or Greek or Roman, doesn't matter. None of that matters. Do you believe in Christ or do you not? If you believe in Christ, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Notice that he also fills in, how are you chosen? How are you royal? How are you holy? How are you, a people's own? how are you a people of God's own possession? For what purpose? So you can proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen people so that you can tell other people about who has chosen you. And they're going to look differently than you. And they're going to talk differently than you. Some of them might be a little rough around the edges because maybe they're not as far down the path as you are. Some of them might not have the theology perfect like you do because maybe they're not quite as far down the path. And some people are going to look at you and think, well, you know, you're a little rough around the edges. That's okay. Because it's not about looking a certain way or acting a certain way. We're talking a certain way. It's about who, to whom do you belong? To whom guides your life? And you start there. Now, the, the trouble, and this is where discernment comes into play, this is where grace comes into play, is that it's not immediately obvious. Because there are Christians who talk funny. Not like have an accent, I mean, they say things that, I don't know if that makes sense. And they walk differently, and they come from different backgrounds, and they may have different theological backgrounds, and they may have different denominational backgrounds, and it causes them to believe things that are kind of weird. I walked into a church once, this has been years ago, and the the pastor was talking about a picnic that was coming up, this was in the summer. And he reminded his congregation that to make sure that they wore, this is a picnic in July, that they wore long pants so that their uh, shorts and their bare legs did not offend the Lord. So me, being the nice person that I am, also wearing shorts that day, decided that while I was sitting on the edge of the pew, I would just kind of stick my leg out. because that's who I am. Hopefully not as much anymore, but every once in a while. Does that mean that that pastor is not a follower of Jesus? No, of course not. Don't readers that doubt his faith. Some his theology maybe, but not his not his faith. One of the interesting things, I think one of the scandalous things about the gospel is that People will be in heaven that you never expected, and people will be in hell that you never saw coming. And I, don't remember who, I don't remember who said this, but this is a great quote, and I think this, this encapsulates it perfectly. Because the Apostle Paul, before he was a Christian, and before he wrote half the New Testament, he was a very zealous Jew. And he persecuted the church, and he signed off on executions of, Jew, of uh, Christians. And I don't remember who said the quote, but the quote was, Paul entered heaven to the applause of the people he martyred. That's the gospel. That's catching everybody and sorting out the good fish from the bad fish. Because there's going to be bad fish, folks. There are going to be people who are punished eternally. It's not my call. It's not my rules. That's the way it is. Not because God is mean, but because God is just. Because the gospel, before it's good news, it's bad news. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That any of our righteousness, anything that we try and do to puff ourselves up or make ourselves feel good or do something good in the world is nothing but filthiness before God. Not because what we do isn't good, or what we do isn't righteous, but because if we're trying to earn God's favor by doing that kind of stuff, it's never going to measure up. The good news is that God's grace is offered freely. If we turn to him, if we repent of our sins, if we repent of those things that separate us from him, that he welcomes us, that he forgives us, that even though our sins made us red as crimson, he will wash us white as snow. And that's open to everybody race color creed all that open to everybody you can repent and you can turn but there will be people that that don't because otherwise there would be no lesson about tares. there would be no lesson about bad fish there would be no lesson about sheep and goats there would be no talk of punishment if everyone got in there'd be no reason to have this conversation There would be no weeping and gnashing of teeth. So how? How do you get in? I know I say get in, and it's not meant to be an exclusive club. It's not fire insurance. It's not, well, in case everything else just falls apart, at least I'm getting into heaven. Because there's more to it than that. Jesus is not a safety jacket. Jesus is not a guarantee of riches, or health, wealth, and prosperity, and all this other kind of stuff. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's how you are more fully human than you were before. So how does that happen? Paul actually writes to, he writes to Jewish Christians in his letter to the Romans, and one of the things that he writes, and this is in the, in the middle section, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11, he's warning his Jewish brothers and sisters He's warning everyone else who's a Jew. He says, look, because you were born a certain way, you think you're going to access heaven. You're not. You think because you know the law, you're going to get to heaven. You're not. Because you act a certain way, look a certain way, talk a certain way, walk a certain way, you're going to get into heaven. You're not. But you can. He says in chapter 10, verse 9, this is what he says. You can write this down, look it up later. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a considerate lack of detail there. Almost as if that's it. Will you, will you grow in grace? Will you change? Will you be the same person? I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I mentioned this last week. Will you be the same Christian now that you are five years from now? No. You'll change. You'll grow in grace. You'll, you'll develop. Just like all of us do. We, we change over a period of time. When you're younger, this is readily apparent because you grow. You get taller. You're able to access different things that you weren't able to access before. For some of you, 10 years is a lifetime ago. The changes you have gone through in a 10-year period of time are significant. For some of us, 10 years is just not the same. But when it comes to your walk, there should be change. There should be differences. There should be a maturity that happens. But starting it off. We all start the same place. You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. There were two criminals that were hanging next to Jesus on the cross and one chose to mock him. One chose to berate him. One chose to belittle him. Although there wasn't really a lot of room or breath for belittling someone because crucifixion is one of the most horrible ways to die. Imagine drowning, but it takes nine hours. As a start. So there wasn't a lot of that there. But the other criminal had a different response. He's like, look, first of all, I know this guy is innocent. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, well, the first thing I need you to do is to recite the four spiritual laws. I need you to make a public declaration of faith, and we have to baptize you, so I need to come down off this cross and take care of that, even though I didn't baptize anybody. No. Somebody goes, no, no. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, had he survived, would he have done more things? Yeah, absolutely, but Look on the bright side. You have that opportunity, and he didn't. You have that chance to grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ and do it right here, right now. He didn't. And you can start right now. You can restart right now. God allows U-turns. God allows second chances. I know you're long past the second chance, so am I. But God allows for that.